the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or estate law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He's been recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. Call him now at 866-970-9622. That's 866-970-9622 and Ask the Lawyer. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, horses Okay, good evening. Thank you for tuning in to Ask the Lawyer. Again, this show is about estate planning and elder law. The first part of the show is about estate planning and elder law. The second part of the show, we talk about different topics, politics, history, religion. But tonight we're going to be talking about baseball, which we're going to be talking about a little bit of baseball history. And we've got two guests on tonight talking about baseball. First, Faye Vincent. And the interview I had with Faye Vincent was recorded back in Um, around October, just before the World Series. And we're also pleased to have Pudge Rodriguez on, and he's got a new venture out selling coffee. So we'll be talking to Pudge Rodriguez and Faye Vincent. Again, the first part of the show, we usually spend about estate planning and elder law. The idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time on estate planning and elder law tonight, but if you want to hear us, we're going to be doing seminars in Brooklyn at the end of April. We'll have an ad later in the show giving you the times and places. With me tonight is my wife, Beth. Hello. Happy St. Patrick's Day to everybody. Right. In, in honor of St. Patrick's Day, you know, at the beginning we have David Kincaid sing us in with On Hollowed Ground, and we are on Hollowed Ground because we're right next to Trinity Church, and Trinity Church's graveyard, which some famous Americans are buried, such as Alexander Hamilton. And we're going to wrap up tonight with David Kincaid's The Irish Volunteer. And to me, David Kincaid is the best Irish-American balladeer around, save none. I know he's given up his Irish stuff a lot to concentrate so more on the rock rock stuff, but that that's fine. But he's still the greatest Irish-American balladeer that we have today. So, Beth, let's get to the question. All right. Um, hello. My uncle is in a nursing home. And when I went there with my aunt, they told us that she must spend away all her money to pay for my uncle's care. How will my aunt survive when all the money is gone? Is this true? And can you help? Thanks, Gary. Yeah, well, that's it's not true. I mean, first of all, you never have to spend down all your money. But in most cases, let's say we have a husband and wife. Husband goes to a nursing home. Husband can transfer virtually all his assets to his wife's name. Wife sides spouse refusal. The husband then gets Medicaid. Now, at, after that point, the wife better protect her assets and put it in the trust or whatever because the city of New York, assuming you live in the city of New York, resi- reserves the right to sue for support. To be honest with you, if you plan it right and you get things planned right, that won't matter. They can sue you, but they're not going to get anything. So it's very important to plan things right. Husband transfers everything to wife. Wife sounds spouse or refusal. Husband gets Medicaid, and then we go from there. And it's it's not a loophole. It's written into the law. Transfers between spouses are exempt from penalty under the five-year look-back period. So if you're in a crisis situation, when you're dealing with Medicaid, with nursing home bills, things like that, please get the right advice because I've seen a lot of people lose way too much paying nursing home bills because they relied on the, the advice of the wrong person. Sometimes you rely on the advice of your neighbor who may or may not know something. And, of course, even sometimes relatives, a relative who lives in New Jersey may give you the, even the proper advice for New Jersey but not for New York. So if you're in a crisis situation, get the right advice. 
If you want to call us at Connors and Sullivan, you're more than welcome to do it at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. We have offices in Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and Manhattan. I guess, Beth, we, I guess we got a second question. We'll get to that one. Very good. Um, greetings. My mother has a house in her name and has my name along with my sister's in her will. If she dies, will the house go through probate? Many thanks, Melinda. The simple answer is yes. If, let's say, when you pass away, if mom passes away and the deed to the house is in her name alone, we're going to go through probate. Probate is a court proceeding. The problems with probate, it's red tape, one, which we can ordinarily we want to eliminate no matter what. And probate, I don't think it's, uh, I, don't, I don't think anybody would disagree with me. Probate is taking more today than it did, taking longer today than it did three years ago, six years ago, ten years ago. It's taking longer and longer. Uh, that's number one. Number two, if there are any medical bills, nursing home bills, if you go through probate, nursing home bills, Medicaid, whatever, they put a lien on your estate, and you can't sell the estate until those liens are dealt with in court. That can take a long time. And, of course, the average cost of a nursing home right now in New York is about $15,000 a month. So if you don't plan things out, your house goes through probate, they can put a lien on your house. And then there are other little things. If they're creditors, credit card companies, whatever, they can stall things up by putting claims in. And if somebody's going to contest your will, um, probate takes forever. And not only that, if one of the people in the will is not mentally alert or disabled, they may get a court-appointed lawyer, and that could cost a lot of money and take time. So ordinarily, we, went, we don't want to go through probate. We avoid probate with the house by putting the house in a trust. So the trust is a family agreement. It's mom's house as long as she's alive. After she's gone, it goes to the kids. I assume equal shares, but that's up to mom to decide. Mom can't sell the house without the kids. If we want to protect it from medical bills, the kids can't sell the house without mom. It's kind of like a partnership, but mom has the leverage. She can change the beneficiaries of the trust. The trust is really the best way to go if you own real estate. And I can't say that enough. A trust is a family contract. It's mom's house as long as she's alive. After she's gone, it goes to the kids tax-free, avoiding probate, avoiding nursing home bills. Okay, we need to take a short break, and we'll be back in a few minutes. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hello. Hello, this is Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. Adult stem cell research is nothing new. It has been going on for decades and, in fact, has proven helpful in treating various diseases. In the process of this research, nobody has to be killed in order to obtain the stem cells. Embryonic stem cell research, on the other hand, only began in 1998 and does involve killing a new human life in order to obtain the cells. The number of diseases that have been successfully treated with embryonic stem cells is zero. They have shown no medical benefit. And even if they did, such activity is immoral. The end does not justify the means. Adult stem cells have treated various forms of leukemia, sickle cell disease, anemia, and carcinoma. Embryonic stem cells have succeeded in nothing. This is Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia once again call 888-943-2646 and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement 
Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got a question for Mike? Call him at 866-970-9622. That's 866-970-9622. Welcome back again to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. You know, last week we had Andrew Hyatt on, and one of, one of our guests was Andrew Hyatt. And he's the guy who directed the movie Paul, Disciple of Christ. And that's going to premiere uh, on March 23rd. So Paul, Apostle of Christ, I, I was privileged enough to see an advanced screening of the movie. It is a very good film, and it puts a different perspective. You know, a lot of times when when you watch some of these biblical movies, especially in the 50s or 60s, you know, it's almost like these characters have halos on their, painted on their heads or whatever, and they have tremendous courage in there, which obviously they did. But I, I think a lot of times what we lost in those films, those biblical films, is that these were real people, and they had fears. And doubts. And doubts, yeah. Well, not, and, and not like Luke is portrayed by Jim Caviezel. He is afraid to be arrested. He's afraid to be tortured. He's afraid to be put in jail. That is human. Yes, he's willing to take those risks because of his faith, because of his faith in Jesus. But nonetheless, he's still afraid to do it, which makes, of course, you know, the, the movie, I think, powerful in, in that point, that Luke, that Jim Caviezel playing Luke makes him human. And the same with uh, James Faulkner, who plays, you know, the disciple Paul. Paul is older. I think he's more resigned to his fate, but nonetheless, you know, he's still a human being. He still has his failings. He's an old man, you know, ready to face the end. But it, it, it's a powerful movie, and I strongly urge that you see it because, you know, sometimes we have some of these movies, the Christian movies, and they're a little bit too nice. You know, this is Christianity is a tough way to go. And this movie shows that, especially in the first century and when Nero was the emperor. Christianity was a tough way to go. And if you were a Christian, you were putting your life on the line. And it was not easy. And I think this movie shows that. It was under Nero that both Paul and Peter were were killed. Yeah, you know, I've, I've never, nobody's ever told me, but I don't know the exact chronological order of Paul's death and, and Peter's death. Well, Michael, you know. Michael was looking that up because we were talking about we were we weren't quite sure. I don't think anyone knows. No, we know it. You know, within about a ten year period, but I don't know. I don't think anyone really knows who who died first. Yeah, we know a lot more about Paul because Luke chronicled Paul's travels and adventures and so forth. So we know a lot more about Paul because of Saint Luke. We don't know much as much about Saint Peter. Right. You know, in the time after he left Jerusalem till he traveled to Rome and so forth. So, But it's interesting. They, they probably passed away very close to the same time. It's just we don't know as much about St. Right. Peter as, as we do about St. Paul. Now, again, as we mentioned earlier, we're going to be talking a little bit about baseball tonight. And Faye Vincent was baseball commissioner. And he's really—we've had him on the show I don't know how many times— and he's really a great baseball historian. You, you know, you can talk to him about, you know, like one time we talked about the wartime ball players, the ball players who were playing in the major leagues before World War II, volunteered to do their service, then came back and played after. And I, a couple of months ago, I think many of you remember, we had an interview with Bobby Brown. And Bobby Brown, you know, he was in medical school. He was in World War II. He played seven or eight years for the Yankees. He went. He volunteered in the Korean War, served in the Korean War, became a cardiologist after his Major League Baseball career was over, worked as a cardiologist for about 30-some-odd years, retired from that, and then became baseball commissioner. And he's still alive today at 92, and he's one of the extraordinary you know, men alive today. And he mentioned the fact of the Yankees starting lineup, I think, in, in 1947, seven out of the eight players served in the military during World War II. So we've got to remember that, guys. And one time we did have a conversation with Faye Vincent, like a guy like Cecil Travis, who was a very good shortstop, hit three fifty nine in 1942, was drafted, spent three years in the service. When he came back, he had suffered some injuries at the Battle of the Bulge. His career was effectively all over. 
but people don't remember him in the Hall of Fame, even though he was a great shortstop because his career was relatively short because he lost three years to the war, and then after he came back, he was not the ball player he was before. And let's not forget Gil Hodges, who won a bronze star at Okinawa. Okay, going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes talking to Faye Vincent. After Faye Vincent, we're going to be talking to Pudge Rodriguez. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Or visit their website, connorsandsullivan.com. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. With me right now, we're very pleased to have former baseball commissioner, baseball historian, Faye Vincent. How are you doing today, sir? I'm very well, thank you. The whole Baseball Hall of Fame is starting to become controversial again because one of the questions, or some of the questions come up, who belongs in and who belongs out? And it's not just about what baseball players on their merits, whether they belong in, let's say, like Gil Hodges or Cecil Travis or something like that. Are the guys who took performing-enhancing drugs, should they be in the Hall of Fame, your opinion? Well, I don't believe they should because I think uh, performance-enhancing drugs obviously enhance performance, and that means that they have an advantage. How do we know uh, in a level field who's competed fairly and who hasn't? I'm not a big fan of the word fair, but it does seem to me that a player who plays by the rules and who doesn't take most performance-enhancing drugs are illegal. So if you're taking an illegal drug, uh, it seems to me that's an advantage that the rules of baseball ought not to permit. So I'm a, a traditionalist, and I and yet I think I'm a realist. I think people cheat. We know that. That's why we have jails and penitentiaries. People make mistakes. If they take drugs and get caught, and those drugs, as is the case with many of these players, enhance performance greatly, at least that's the evidence, um, I don't believe they should be in the Hall of Fame. There's some people that make the argument, well, wait a minute, you know, the ownership and managers, they knew these guys were taking drugs and they didn't do anything about it, so it wasn't really accepted, wasn't really accepted by professional baseball? You know, that's a slippery slope. I mean, that's like saying I was going 90, but there were a lot of people also going 80 and uh, or even 120. I mean, the fact that you got caught meant you did something wrong. I don't know that we can blame the policeman for... Uh, who was in your neighborhood for your theft of somebody else's property. I mean, it strikes me that the people taking and performing enhancing drugs know what they're doing. A-Rod made it very clear. He knew exactly what he was doing. And I think A-Rod gave up the right to be considered because we don't know what his performance was. 
what was his performance and what was the drug's performance. What about the players that were not sure whether they took the performance-enhancing drugs or not? It's a very tough problem. I don't know how you can exclude them um, without them admitting it. Or, I mean, does Piazza ever going to admit that he took the worst case for baseball is going to be the guy who gets in and then three years later is offered a million dollars to tell the world he didn't get it. Uh, he, he, he was taking the drugs. I don't have an answer for that. I think probably what I would say is if that case happened, I would move the person uh, to a separate uh, wing saying he's in the Hall of Fame. He was elected. We'll acknowledge him. But this is where we acknowledge people who later admitted they cheated. Talking about cheating, 1919, baseball was almost ruined by the Black Sox scandal, which numbers of the, the White Sox team consorted with gamblers. Some of them took bribes and threw the 1919 World Series. There's still some people that say, hey, Joe Jackson deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Well, I recognize that. I think uh, part of the argument is that he was uh, not terribly acute mentally. Some say he was illiterate. Um, but I read an interesting uh, interview where Ty Cobb went to visit him after uh, all of this happened. They competed with one another, and I think Joe was working in a store. Cobb knew where he was and went to see him. And at, Based on that interview, I concluded that uh, Jackson was no fool. He wasn't retarded. I mean, he may have been illiterate. He wasn't alone. So I don't know that I would consider him any better candidate than Pete Rose. I mean, if if someone gets thrown out of baseball for cheating and has not been reinstated, I don't think he should be in the Hall of Fame. And I think if you let Shoeless Joe back in, you have to let in Pete Rose and others. I just don't think that's the proper course. And I don't think that's going to happen, by the way. Okay, well, you know, Pete Rose has a lot of supporters. And there are a lot of people saying, hey, Pete Rose had more hits than any other ball player in the history of baseball. And he, there was no harm in what he did because he only bet on his own team. Well, that's all silly. Um, he didn't bet on his own team every day. That means the day he didn't bet on his own team, wasn't he betting against them? He didn't like some of the pitchers. I mean, he's the manager. Uh, and if he bet on Monday and he, and he used up his best relief pitcher, he'd be very reluctant. Um, to abuse that pitcher on Sunday when he wasn't going to be betting. So it's the people who argue that he only bet on his own team and what's wrong with that don't understand betting or they don't understand the sport or they don't understand what Pete was doing. I mean, it's a silly argument. And I, I must say it's not a very widely held view. It's held by people who are not close to baseball. The argument that um, he bet and so what, he was a great ball player, um, doesn't cut any ground because there are a lot of great ball players and there are a lot of them in the Hall of Fame and they didn't cheat and they didn't uh, bet on baseball. Baseball has one capital crime, namely corruption, betting on baseball. And that rule has been there for a long time. Pete saw it. Everybody knows the rule. And Pete decided he was above the rule. He was bigger than the game. His lawyer told Bart and me, Pete thinks he is a national treasure. He doesn't think you and Bart and others can throw him out of baseball because baseball will be the loser, not Pete. Well, who's a loser? I think baseball is booming, and Pete Rose is not booming. So the, the lesson is clear that when you, con when you commit this sort of offense, there is a consequence, and I think... We saw that with Pete Rose. Um, he lied, he denied he did what he did, and years later he admitted it for money. And I know there are plenty of supporters. Those people argue that, why have any rules? Why don't we just let these guys play? It's a beautiful game. We should, if they want to take drugs, let them take it. I've heard sports broadcasters and announcers say that, but it makes no sense. I mean, without rules, you don't have the game. Speaking about gambling, the future of baseball and gambling, do you have any opinion on that? Well, I think it's inevitable. Look, it, it, only a fool would argue that there aren't bets being made every day on baseball. You think they're not betting tonight on the Dodgers, the Astros, the Yankees, and the Cubs? Of course they are. And the amount of money is enormous. It's all illegal, except in Las Vegas. And Congress 
look, let's back up. The Supreme Court has a case before this term. This is a lawyer's program. The argument's going to be made soon, and the decision will come down in the spring. And it's New Jersey challenging the statute, the federal statute, that says that basically only the state of Nevada can keep a sports book. New Jersey wants to have a sports book. Why? Because the estimate is that there are billions of dollars being bet every year on sports in the United States. And the owners in basketball have already come on record with Adam Silver saying, we want a piece of that. We want the statute to be amended to say that all states can have, can permit betting, and the federal statute won't preclude that. The Supreme Court may very well knock out that federal statute because the argument is that it's regulating conduct by states, and the federal government should be, shouldn't be regulating that conduct by saying only Nevada can grow corn. I mean, imagine if it said only Massachusetts can uh, harvest uh, fish. I mean, it's, it's, it's the kind of statute that's vulnerable. Now, I testified in favor of that statute in 1989, but I didn't know, neither did anybody else, what an enormous business illegal gambling is in the United States. I've seen estimates that over $150 billion is bet on sports in this country. Well, think of that. That's a lot of money to be spread around to players, colleges, basketball, franchises, baseball, football. The NFL is probably the biggest uh, reservoir of gambling, but I think the NCAA basketball tournament is obviously enormous. And we know it's enormous because the newspapers all print the injury list for football games. Now, why are they doing that? They're only printing the injury list because the gamblers want it printed. And they want to know if Brady has sprained his ankle, and they want to know which wide receiver is not going to play. Well, that printing tells you the business is enormous. I think it's going to come. I think it's going to come sooner rather than later. I would not be surprised. Your audience will tell me what they think, but I think this Supreme Court case is a serious threat. The Supreme Court took this case from the Third Circuit, which ruled in favor of the federal statute. And the dissent in there was a two-to-one case in the Third Circuit. The dissent argued that the federal statute was unconstitutional. I read the decision. I think it's a tough case. Now, if that's if, if the business is as big as people are estimating, one way or another, it's going to be legal. It's already being done. That is, the business exists. It's just that it's not being taxed, it's not being recognized, and people aren't dividing the the fruits of that gambling, if you will, um, at all equitably. In, in the hundred years almost since the Black Sox scandal, there's been almost no touch of ball players tossing games or do you think do you think it's happened or you think people are genuinely honest now oh no i don't think they're honest at all indeed i think the the dollars spent look almost all of that money that's being bet is being bet illegally the answer is the law enforcement people don't want to enforce the gambling rule why because the american public loves gambling how could they enforce the lottery i mean the lottery is legal and all of this gambling revenue, all of these casinos, all the money that's pouring into uh, state governments, which are broke anyway, uh, from uh, legal gambling, legal casinos, tells you the American public is addicted to gambling. I see the buses going up to Connecticut 95 to the uh, casino up in, uh, in uh, northern Connecticut. Bus after bus after bus, and the reason is people want to go up there and bet, and that's what they're doing. So it's it's going to come. It's already here. The only question is, when do the state and federal legislators wake up to the fact that there's an enormous amount of money that's not being taxed? It's being generated, and it is not being regulated at all. And the states are broke, so that's why New Jersey is desperate to get a book going, because it would generate enormous revenue for New Jersey. And that's why this Supreme Court case 
should be the focus of enormous attention, but it's not. The New York Times, the Wall Street, nobody is writing about it. I can't understand it. I've been explaining to people, including people like you, and nobody seems to pay attention. It's a serious issue, and it's a huge business. How do you think it's going to affect Major League Baseball, assuming there is legalized gambling? Well, the, the first fight will be over, does the federal government try to regulate it? They surely will try. Uh, the states are going to try to keep jurisdiction so they can have their own regulation. That's going to be the first fight. Then if you try to, and if you make it legal, which I, th- I think will happen because it's already so enormous, once you make it legal, then you have to decide how are we going to control it. Are we going to control it? Are we going to let players bet? What if you want to... What if you have some players on the team betting for the team and others against it? And they say, well, we're going to try just as hard. Well, that's a hard argument. I mean, if you have $1,000 going on the game, even if you're making a million or two, my guess is a little incentive, the economic incentive would be, would be there. On the other hand, how do you get the public? The public wants to know whether Brady's injured, it's going to want to know if the pitcher's betting. The statute's going to say the pitcher can't bet or players can't bet. If it does, you're back in the Rose business where people say, why not? He's only going to bet on his own team. Or if he bets against it, we want to know about it. Are you going to permit them to bet for their own team and against them? Do you wear the people who are betting for the team wear black hats at night and the people betting against them, and for red. I mean, I can think of an endless list of issues that are going to become relevant. But I'm convinced that it's going to happen because the old aphorism, follow the money. All right. You have any thoughts about Major League Baseball today, changes? No, look, I think baseball is looking good by comparison to football at the moment. I mean, football is loaded with problems that baseball doesn't have, mainly because the baseball players haven't gotten into this business of kneeling down. That protest was a football protest. Uh, the, The baseball circumstance are very different from football. Baseball plays a lot more games. The tradition of the national anthem in baseball is a very big tradition. Nobody is failing to stand up because I think the owners in baseball over the years have made it clear that they don't want you to. They don't want people to do that. The American public, the sports-going public, is a very traditional... I mean, you don't go to baseball games and expect protests, and you don't go to football games either, and they're trying to wrestle that through. You know, I think baseball looks good. The business is booming. Um, the World Series are going to be, you're going to have some interest. The Yankees and the Dodgers, just think of what that will mean if that's the World Series. Um, I think baseball's riding high, largely because, unfortunately, the other sports are having their problems. All right. Well, thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Thank you. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? 
These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, or connorsandsullivan.com. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome back to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, I'm going to take a step back right now, and we're going to have one of the attorneys who you heard on the show many times, Adriana Lima, and she's going to interview one of the, I, I should say, the greatest catcher in the history of baseball, Hall of Famer, Pudge Rodriguez. Adriana, go ahead. Hello, everyone. So, yes, I have taken over for Mike Connors for this segment, and I am very excited to introduce our next guest. 14-time All-Star, 13-time Gold Glove Award winner, 7-time Silver Slugger Award winner, American League MVP, National League Championship Series MVP, 2003 World Series champion. He was inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown this past summer. He is one of the best catchers in MLB history. He is Ivan Pudge Rodriguez. Welcome to the show, Ivan, and thank you so much for being with us today. Does it well, ever? Thank you, thank you for having me. Of course. And I give it a name. I give it a for all that. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Does it ever get old hearing you're an All-Star Hall of Famer? Not at all. Not at all. That's uh, good, to, good to hear that every time. <laughs> Ivan, you retired in 2012, but you've been quite busy since then. Tell us a little bit about what you've been up to. Well, uh, I, I still in baseball. I do. Uh, I, I do other stuff. You know, I've been obviously. I'm. Uh, I'm in business. That's my new uh, uh, career that I'm doing right now. Obviously, uh, but I still working in baseball. I still working for the Rangers, and I do pre and post games for uh, for the Rangers. So. Uh, I still, you know, working in the office playing baseball. Uh, but but besides that, you know, I'm a I'm in the coffee business. I I do all this stuff, you know, in the energy business and uh, trying to, you know, keeping myself doing some uh, uh, some great things. And uh, that's what I'm doing right now. Wow! So I hear you're fresh off the coffee and chocolate expo. How did you get involved in the coffee industry? Well, I've been involved. In, uh, you know, I like I like the business. You know, I I love coffee. I'm a I really do drink coffee in the morning. I'm a coffee drinker in the morning, and uh, uh, and I love the business. I think uh, uh, in Puerto Rico, you know, it's not because I'm from Puerto Rico, but where we produce some of the best coffees in the world, we produce in here. Believe it or not, you know, this is a a very small island, but but the coffee that we that we produce here. Is one of the best, you know. It's pretty, uh, uh, it's very pure, very fresh, very good. A lot of flavor on it, and and that's what I, uh, that's what I get into the coffee. You know, I, uh, you know, I've been working in this project for, for a while, and and finally we we had the punch, uh, coffee out already, and it's doing very well. You know, I just came, I just came from the expo uh, right now, and uh, it was a lot of people. The coffee. They saw all the coffee that that we bring it into the uh, uh, into the convention center, and, and and so far we're doing very good. That's great, and you know what? I really did not know that Puerto Rico had such a was so influential in coffee. When you think coffee, usually think Colombia. Uh, so this is amazing. Yeah, well, Colombia Colombia is the biggest, obviously, because the the, the topography and the size of the. Uh, of the countries is a lot bigger, but uh, but the coffee I say probably the coffee that we produce here uh, we 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 probably we probably have to call it like a boutique you know boutique coffee because it's not a lot uh, a lot of farms a lot of farms that you can produce the coffee but the coffee that we produce you know in the center of the island and and in the north side of the island is is the quality. 
is uh, is a very good uh, quality cup of coffee. Right, and I'm sure that this the expo and your involvement in Pudge Coffee this is certainly bringing attention to Puerto Rico. Um, can you? I've heard that portion of the proceeds from the sale of your coffee is going to relief efforts for victims of Hurricane Maria. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, basically, we 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 doing that. Uh, obviously, as everybody know what's going on with Puerto Rico with after Hurricane uh, Maria passed the island. Uh, you know, Puerto Rico needs to recover a lot. We're doing better. You know, it's going to take a long time, but uh, little by little, we're going to get there. So uh, we decide to, uh, to you know, some of the business, some of the revenue in our business, we're going to donate it back to Puerto Rico uh, in different uh, in different ways, uh, uh, sports or the schools, or hospitals, or helping people's home. But, uh, but I think the goal is just to Keep growing, growing the business. Keep uh, hiring more people. You know, bring, uh, you know, getting jobs to people. Uh, because as you know, you know, coffee requires uh, a lot of employees. To, right, right. Uh, to to work to working in the coffee. So uh, they, 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 one of the good things that I like from the coffee is obviously I love the coffee. I love to drink coffee, but at the same time. When you have a, a business or company like this, coffee, you you, you need you need to hire uh, a lot of people to work. Yeah, and you're you're helping to build back up Puerto Rico. Absolutely, yeah, especially in the center of the island. Uh, you know, uh, some of the you know some of the partners that we that we partnered together. He uh, he's pretty much run. Uh, 70 70 percent of all the coffees in Puerto Rico. So uh, we want to grow. We want to grow more. We want to try to to see if we can, you know, cover pretty much everything so we can continue to grow the company and and, uh, and and bring more people into all these farms and and put it into work and and, and just hire more people in our factory uh, that we process in the coffee and and try to make it better. Right. And I'm not kidding when I said that you've been busy. You also released a book over this last year. Right. Yeah, uh, the, the book they called me Pudge that uh, I did it last year, uh, not last year, you know, six, seven months ago, I finished it. And uh, the book is very, uh, it's pretty good. It's, uh, it's, a story of, uh, it's a story of my life. Uh, and I started playing baseball at the age of seven years old and, and the way that my parents, uh, uh, teach me uh, how to respect and uh, uh, respect life, and basically start from all the way when I was six, seven years old into uh, into I retired uh, into I retired from baseball. So yeah. it's a good book. I read that you signed your first professional contract in Puerto Rico when you were sixteen. <laughs> yes, I <laughs> I did uh, when I was fifteen years old. I I signed it um, on a on a complex here in San Juan. We call it uh, Sports City Roberto Clemente, oh. and uh, that's when my professional uh, that's when my professional career started. And when I was fifteen, so it's a it's a nice work. It's, you know we we do it in Spanish and English, so. So you know the people that doesn't speak Spanish and speak, uh, I mean English, or doesn't you know, or vice versa, they can they will be able just to understand the book well. Yes, I I saw that for our Latino community, your book is also available, Medicine Pudge. How important was it for you to have yes. your story down in Spanish as well? Well, it, it, it's good because obviously that's that's my, my that's my first language, right? I'm uh I'm from Puerto Rico and. And obviously, some of that book that we that I'm talking about, talking about the difficulties of me speaking the language, uh, you know, speaking English. And so uh, I was trying to teach, you know, uh, how difficult it was. But at the same time, it's, it's something that you gotta learn, and and not be afraid to speak. You know, some, a lot of a lot of the young uh, uh, kids or Latin uh, Latin players or the Latin people, the first thing they have, they're afraid to speak, and they get shy, and and they have they have to put that on the side and focus on, on not not be afraid. Just you know, uh, try to speak the best they can, and 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 
try to speak, you know, and, and not be afraid. Right. And Pudge, you have definitely done our Latino community proud. Ivan, who Thank was you. Thank you. Yes, who was your favorite baseball player growing up? Well, my first, uh, my favorite baseball player was Johnny Bench. Believe it or not, he's my hero. Uh, and uh, you know, I when I was a little kid, uh, some of the games that we that we watch in Puerto Rico, eh, we watch a lot of Cincinnati games because Tony Perez and uh, and all these Red Machine guys. Uh, 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 plays the game, you know, uh, a long time, and so uh, I I grew up watching him. Uh, love the way he plays, love the way he catch, and and Johnny, you know, I love the way Johnny Bench uh, plays. So he's my hero. <laughs> and as we enter the 2018 baseball season, which baseball player should we look out for? Well, you know, baseball is 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 is, is always nice to watch. I think with talent. The, 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 the we have in Major League Baseball is impressive. Uh, if you can see these uh, young players that play for the Yankees, the Stanton, the Adam Judge, the Gabby Sanchez, uh, Mike Trout, all these kids that come today to the game, uh, Correa, uh, you know, Lindor, all those guys are amazing and fun to watch. I think uh, to me, you know, I... I do not have anybody particular, but I'm a, I'm a baseball fan, and I love to watch all of them have a, you know, having a great year. I absolutely agree. As a baseball fan, this is an amazing run. Tell us where we can find out the latest on what you're up to. Is there a website we can go to? Keep a float uh, or a Twitter, oh, social yeah, media? Yeah. We, you know, Touch, Touch 7, uh, uh, that's my, that's my webpage. You can go in there, fightshaven.com, and, and, and that's me in there. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it, folks. Please be sure to check out pudge7.com for more info on Pudge's coffee, books, and future endeavors. Mike, do you, want, do you have anything more to add? Yeah, just from a baseball fan's point of view, can you name or uh, some of the great pitches that you caught, and why were they great in your opinion? I mean, uh, to me, you know, I catch so many, so many good pictures, uh, so many great ones, and um, I have the the opportunity to uh, to play with Nolan Ryan three years, and and be able to uh, and be able to um, to see, you know, to play with him and 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 catch him. To me, was it was a great great experience for me. Uh, also, you know, I say Steven Strasburg. Uh, Justin Berlander, Kenny Rogers. I mean, a lot. Yeah, I, I, I played for so I played so many years, and to me, you know, I uh, all of the all of the pitchers are special for me because when you're in the big league, it's because you're a great player or you are a great pitcher, and that's why to me, every pitcher that I that I got the opportunity to catch him, all those those guys for me was very special. Okay, one last time before we get. Can you give the name of the book again? They call me Pudge. They call me Pudge. That's easy enough to remember. That's right. <laughs> Ivan, thank you so much for being with us today. Buena suerte con todo. Okay, thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good Bye -bye. luck. Okay, so, you know, we're going to wrap up right now. Happy St. Patrick's Day again. We're going to wrap up with David Kincaid and the Irish Volunteer. Bye-bye. Donald, I'm a native of the Isle Was born among old Evans bogs When I was but a child My father fought in 98 For liberty so dear He fell upon old Vinegar Hill Like an Irish volunteer Then raised the harp of air And boys, the flag we all revere We'll fight and fall beneath its folds Like Irish volunteers Then raised the harp of air And boys, the flag we all revere We'll fight and fall beneath it's folds like Irish volunteers When I was driven from my home by Anna Presser's hand 
I caught some sticks and greased me brogues and came o'er to this land. I found a home and many friends and some that I love dear. The jabbers I'll stick to them like bricks and an Irish volunteer. Then fill your glasses up, me boys, and drink a hearty cheer to the land of our adoption and the Irish volunteers. Then fill your glasses up, me boys, and drink a hearty cheer to the land of our adoption and the Irish volunteers. When the traitors in the south commenced a warlike raid, I quickly then laid down my heart to the devil with my spade to a recruiting office. Then I went that happened to be near and joined the good old 69th like an Irish volunteer. Then fill the ranks and march away, no traitors do we fear. We'll drive them all to blazes, says the Irish volunteer. Then fill the ranks and march away, no traitors do we fear. We'll drive Drive them all to blazes, says the Irish volunteer. South should ever cross our roads. We'll drive them to the devil as St. Patrick did the toads. We'll give them all short nooses that come just below the ears. Made strong and good of Irish hemp by Irish volunteers. Then here's to brave MacLellan, whom the army now reveres. He'll lead us on to victory, the Irish volunteers. Then here's to brave MacLellan, whom the army now reveres. He'll lead us on to victory. Glasses up, my boys, a toast, come drink with me. May Aaron's harp and the starry flag united ever be. May traitors quake and rebels shake and tremble in their fears. When next they meet the Yankee boys and Irish volunteers. God bless the name of Washington, that name this land reveres. Success to Mara Nugent and their Irish volunteers. God bless the name of Washington, that name this land reveres. Success to Mara Nugent and their Irish volunteers. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.